I just got back from Tijuana too, and uh, I wanted to ask you guys when you see something like that, I know the way most of us think, and that is we want to be part of something great. We want to do something great with our lives. And Tijuana represents our fifth City Light location. So we have City Light Lao, City Light Latino, City Light Falls Church, and City Light DC. And now we're opening City Light Center in Tijuana, Mexico, our first international one. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> now, the exciting thing to us is we're not trying to outgrow this building. We're not trying to get 10 million people here. We're trying to start more where they're needed all around this area and around the world. So uh, whether visiting kids, women, um, sharing the gospel, uh, doing the work, having this center ready, all of those things are great. But let me tell you what stands. What is the barrier that stands on us getting 50 more places that can really serve the poor and serve the, lo the lost? And it is money. It is money. Money is the difference. Money is the difference. It really is. God is raising up people. What we need is, listen, brothers and sisters, this is so important. You know how you heard so many times when the preacher tells you about missions, or you'll hear somebody say, all I can do is write a check. Or you write a check and you say, I just wrote a check. I didn't go to Tijuana. I didn't do the foundation on the building. I didn't do it, so I didn't do anything. All I did was write a check. Can I just tell you that that would be like Nate getting done with his sermon and saying, I just preached a sermon. I didn't do anything. I just preached a sermon. Or for the worship team to get down and say, all I did was sing a song. That's all I did. I didn't do anything. All I did was sing a song. Or Valerie down with kids saying, all I did was teach Sunday school to some little kids. I didn't do anything great like this. And then the guy who started La Roca, he could say, all I did was shepherd a team. That's all I did. All I did was get it started, and then all these other people do the work. Brothers and sisters, Satan will agonize you and trouble you and discomfort you as much as he possibly can. Let me tell you, one of the greatest gifts that God has listed that we can do as Christians, right in Romans 12, is that we can have giving be a part of our lives. And brothers and sisters, every dollar you... What are we going to do? Do I want... Really, honestly, think about this. If, in fact, those of us in the West that are blessed financially, if we all are to be the givers, but with that goes constant guilt that we only we gave, or is it God's plan that we empty all of these churches around the area? Maybe we should do this some Sunday morning. Just drive church to church. Tell them, get out of here. All of you go to India. And then what we'll do is we'll all go be poor in India together. That wouldn't be much for God's equation, would it? In fact, what he needs is those people that live here and that are in a different zip code and have everything to enjoy what they're doing and to invest their money in God's work. So you know what I say? Get a promotion. Earn more. Get a better job. Do whatever it takes so that you can make more of a difference and you can invest in God's spiritual resource around this world. Amen? All right, good. So let's be encouraged by what God has given us to do. We have a part they have a part. All of us have a part in God's great work. And here at City Light, that's what we're doing together as a family. All right, let's pray together. And let's get galvanized behind this great idea of God's word and his work here and around the world. Jesus, we thank you so much for the opportunity to open your word together. We thank you for the truth of God's word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are a faithful savior. That you are one that understands each and every concern, each and every pressure, each and every uh, guilty feeling, each and every um, 
trouble in the lives, each and every soul. You know them all. And so, Lord, I pray that you would um, soothe them, comfort, guide, lead, Lord Jesus. Just take a second between you and the Lord Jesus. Just say, uh, speak now for your servant hears. Ask the Lord to speak to you through this sermon. Dear, wonderful Jesus, I pray that you would allow us together to enjoy your word this morning, to um, let it enrich us and encourage us, let it bring conviction uh, to those that are far from you, and uh, those that are near would be more encouraged and more drawn closer even to you, our Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Well, listen, brothers and sisters, open to Hebrews chapter 11. Yes, you scared me a little bit there. Uh, somebody was yelling at me. I was ready to run. Um, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, my name is Dale. I am one of the pastors here at City Light. I'm also Kristen's dad and my wonderful wife, Patty, and I have uh, had the joy of raising our Kristen. And Nate is uh, a wonderful son-in-law, and we have a bunch of other kids and a bunch of other grandkids. So we got people running everywhere at our house, 12 grandkids, and uh, they are multiplying fast. So we praise the Lord for all of this. Today, I'm here to open with you uh, Hebrews chapter 11, um, and I want to have a little confession time with you. Listen, I, uh, I've always, uh, most of my life, I've worked a lot of hours, and I worked a lot of hours, and uh, it was really fun, and I enjoyed working all the hours. I was a policeman. Uh, for my career in Washington, D.C., but then I was also a pastor at McLean Bible Church, so I was doing both jobs full-time, and as I was doing that, and then I also had three girls, and we were trying to raise them, and cheerleaders, and you know all the other things that go with raising kids, and we were doing all those things, uh, but my problem was I um, couldn't stay awake. Uh, when I wasn't doing uh, something where I'm active, I, I do. So for instance, uh, I would try to catch up on sleep wherever I could. And so I told some folks about this. We would drive when the girls were little, when Kristen and Jenny and Nikki were little, I would drive and I had this little game that when we get to a stoplight, I'd say, uh, look, I'm going to cut my seat back and I'm going to fall asleep. And when the light turns green, all of you girls scream and wake me up. And so uh, I would do that. So I would cut it back. I'd be there for and then they'd all get, They loved it. It was such a fun time. Now, you know, uh, see all kinds of ways you can make your kids happy. So um, I uh, would find myself asleep. A lot of times they, just at the wrong times. One time my lieutenant was coming. He wanted to teach a class with me. So we're teaching down at the academy, and we're teaching a room full of policemen. Well, the lieutenant uh, comes down. He wants to teach. So you know, you want to do a good job. So I... Uh, he wanted to share a couple of words, you know, you trade off. And so he came up and he was teaching here. And I sat in a chair in front of the, the students uh, in a chair here. And so while he's talking to them here, I'm there. And guess what I did? Fell sound asleep. Fell sound asleep. And my boss is right here talking. That maybe wasn't the best career move I could have made, huh? Yes, sleep a lot of times. But here's the real bad news. The real thing to feel guilty about, and that is this. I try to have devotions every day. You know where I'm headed. Uh, I try to have devotions every day, and for years, really since I was a teenager, 
I try to get significant time alone with God. And so uh, while I would do that, uh, I like to uh, get down on my knees just because I don't have, I have trouble uh, getting focused. So this helps me to focus and I really draw close to the Lord. The only problem is that often when I'm in this position praying, um, that uh, when I wake up, I didn't, you know, and my kids have this thing, uh, oh, dad, you're going up to have devotions, right? Uh, and what they mean is I'm going up to have a nap. Now, the truth is that's not my intention, but I'll go and I'll be praying and then I'll wake up and I will have to rush to the next thing and I'll miss my time with the word, miss my time in prayer and all of this because I was sleeping. And so I feel terribly guilty about this. But this probably isn't where you or I stop with the guilt. I have lots of other guilt. I have lots of other guilt because I know that when I come to church, they tell me to be a better father. And I think, boy, I sure could be a better father. You think of all the things you could do different. I want to be a better uh, team member. Certainly could do that. Couldn't I be more loving? Couldn't I be more compassionate? So on. Uh, Shouldn't I be a better husband? Absolutely, I should. Don't I need to learn to be more selfless? Yes. Um, Do I want to have... uh, do you want to have more uh, witnessing opportunities and serving up to? Yes, sure, I could. I absolutely should. Should witness more. And then uh, shouldn't I be more connected at church? That's one that we talk a lot about, being connected to church. And then I think, I mean, I am some, but am I really as connected as I should be or as I'd like to be? Boy, by the time you're done uh, thinking of all that stuff, uh, I'm pretty well ready to tap out. <laughs> I... I I can't do all that. I mean, maybe I could do one or something, but I don't think I could do all that. One of the problems, uh, it's been a great relief to me, is uh, realizing, uh, no shock to you listening to me for five minutes, but that I have this ADD deal. And when I realized that the reason I have, listen, here's what happens every day. I write down a list of things to do. These are the things I do. But I put on a list for 24 hours, I put 75 hours worth of work on that list. And then every day when I go to bed, I'm mad at myself because I didn't fulfill the list. I guess I'm the only one who ever felt this. Uh, is there not a mom in here who has felt like I should have done this, that, and the other today, but all I, all I did was watch kids, or all I did was this thing, or all I could do was this? Brothers and sisters, I want to introduce you to Hebrews 11 here. We're going to open up God's Word, and we're going to find out maybe a different way that Christ wants us to live. Then the way we live Often, because we have added to ourselves, those of us that are believers in Christ, have added to ourselves this picture that God is constantly disappointed in us. Imagine this. I say to you today, and there are many in here, I'm sure, who need to start a relationship with Christ. You've come to church. You've been part of it. Maybe even uh, been committed in some ways. But personally, you're not yet committed to Jesus Christ. You haven't repented of your sins and followed Jesus Christ with all your heart. So to you, I say... This sermon is really not for you, and you want to start this now because he is so good. You want to give your life to Christ. Okay, so there's first. For those of you who know Christ, though, I just want to bring you to uh, this passage to give you an opportunity to hear what God really thinks. Now, imagine this. I uh, really wanted to marry my wife, Patty. I really wanted to marry her. I wanted to marry her really bad. And for a couple of years there, I was chasing her everywhere she'd go, and the poor thing would run everywhere, and I'd follow her there. So I have been chasing her. We've been now married 37 years, and um, she deserves more than that, I'm afraid. Uh, but th- 30, 37 years, and, and, uh, and I, I really wanted. But imagine 
that as soon as we got married, as soon as I was actually officially her husband, from that point on, I would constantly have someone who was disappointed in me. Well, that wouldn't be such an attractive relationship. And if I am going to be in a relationship with a boss who I know he hired me, wanted me and everything, but then I know for sure they're always going to be disappointed in me, that's not much of a job environment. might find a job where they think better of me or they might accept me or whatever. However, for us as Christians, for those of us who love Christ, who are washed in the blood of Christ, who believe in his word and want to give our hearts to the Lord, in fact, we spend a lot of our life with that impression in our relationship with the Lord Jesus. That he's constantly disappointed. I mean, how could he be happy? He wants complete holiness. Uh, how could he be happy? I mean, look at what these missionaries are doing. How could he be happy with me taking care of some kids or working at a job or doing whatever? I mean, that's silly. He is constantly disappointed in me. I not only have that list in my life where I have the 75 things in 24 hours, I also have a spiritual list of things I must accomplish every day. And if I don't accomplish those things, he's disappointed in us. And I must tell you that when I'm done listening to all the sermons I listen to, that I feel more like he's disappointed me. Here's what I imagine happening. I used to uh, see that uh, if I came on uh, one Sunday, I would get from the pastor four things to be a better husband. Next Sunday, four things to be less angry. Next Sunday, three ways to breed immorality. And but, before you know it, I got 22 things on my list, and I don't know how to do them. I maybe might grab one. And so I just assumed that if the pastor would be disappointed, I imagine the Lord would be too. Let's open Hebrews chapter 11. Let's start reading. Now, faith, I'm going to read to you from the Amplified Version. So this is just a version uh, that I encourage you to own or rent or do whatever you got to do to get there. Get on the email and find it. Uh, I, yeah, you could pay me rent if you'd like. The, the Hebrews 11, chapter 1 through 6. Let's start here in the Amplified Bible. Here it goes. Now, faith is the assurance, the confirmation of things hoped for. He's going to teach us what faith is in terms of how this affects us is our faith in Christ. And it's the evidence. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. For by this kind of faith, men of old gained divine approval. Have you ever felt divine approval? By faith... That is an inherent trust and an enduring confidence in the power, wisdom, and goodness of God. We understand the worlds were framed and created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Brothers, he's talking about these men and women of faith that he's going to describe here in Hebrews chapter 11. It's the hall of faith. It's our hall of fame. And in there, he's describing what these people were like. They had assurance because of their faith. They believed in divine approval because of their faith. They had inherent trust in God. They even had an enduring confidence with God. Now that, to me, seems um, almost ungodly. The idea that I would have confidence in the presence of God. But yet, Scripture says, Philippians 1.6, Paul says, Be confident of this very thing. That he who started a work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's not faith in yourself. You will be constantly disappointed. It should be if it was just you. But in fact, I'm enduring. I'm trusting. I'm confident in what? The power of God to do what he said he would do. So here is this faith. Now we see verse 5. 
by faith that pleased God. Enoch was caught up and taken to heaven so that he would not have a glimpse of death. And he was not found because God had taken him. For he, for even before he was taken, he received the testimony that he had walked with God and pleased him. And then he summarizes. You all should be Enoch. No, that isn't what he said at all. Listen to what he said. But without faith, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever comes to God must necessarily believe that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly and diligently seek him. He rewards those who are absolutely perfect. He rewards those that are missionaries. He rewards those that are sharing the gospel 32 times a day. He rewards those that didn't know. He says he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's a little bit different uh, request from God, a little bit more clarity. Now, there's problem also in the Christian world where we um, have been promised. I call it destiny theology. Some call it prosperity theology. But the, the, there's some in the prosperity, a lot in the prosperity movement have not said so much like directly, you're going to do this and then you're going to get rich. They, they wouldn't say that as much now, but what they would say is that God, you have a destiny and God wants you to fulfill it. And so you get this feeling, uh, they say things like, I was listening to one this week who says things like, um, this is your year to beat cancer. This is the year your child is going to come to Christ. This is your year to be free of sin. And I just keep looking at the calendar trying to figure when this is going to happen and how'd that guy find out? I mean, this is great. But the problem is cancer kills Christians too. In fact, in fact, Christians, almost everyone I know has somebody in their family who isn't walking with Christ. What is the matter with us? Well, in Hebrews 11, we get a little secret. These great men and women of faith, guess what we find out? Listen to this. It says, all these died in faith they died in faith. In other words, they didn't leave God, but they died without receiving the fulfillment of God's promises, only having seen or anticipated them, having welcomed them from a distance, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. Brothers and sisters, very important you get this. The godliest people in Christian history are listed here in Hebrews 11, men and women. The godliest, and guess what? Many of them, all of them, did not see the promises all come true during their lifetime. So you're saying Moses, he wants to go to the promised land. If you know the story comes to the end of his life, the Lord says, no, you can't go into the promised land. But guess what? He says here in this verse, he's in the promised land now. It was a delay in promise. It was a delay in question. It's a delay in thing. But here's what else happened today. And this is what happens to us. We're praying for one child in our family so much that when it doesn't happen, we forget that God gave us two others that he is doing work with. You see what I'm saying? Moses could have come to the end of his life and said, I'm a failure, I'm a failure, I'm a failure. But then he would have had to forget the Red Sea and the burning bush and all these other wonderful days that God had given him. Brothers and sisters, it's a difference in perspective when we stop saying, God, you have to answer every prayer. Listen, I have this grandchild. He likes uh, cars, fast cars and everything. Uh, and I like him. I like this grandkid. He's a nice boy. And I would like to do everything for him. Uh, but I'm a better grandfather than to chuck him keys to a Lamborghini. You'd say, Dale, what kind of grandfather are you? Well, this is the way the Lord answers a lot of our prayers. He says, yes, maybe a Lamborghini down the road, but a Lamborghini isn't right for you for these reasons. And you don't want it when you're 12 years old. We think we do. 
My point is that when we ask God for prayer, this loving, kind, holy Father makes a decision. Now, why does he answer some prayers and not others? Brothers and sisters, oh, the depths and the riches, the wisdom of God, how unsearchable his judgments, Romans 11, 33. His paths beyond tracing out, I don't know. I don't know, but I know this. These men and women found peace in finding their faith in God in spite of the fact that they didn't hear and they didn't get every answer to prayer they wanted. Another one is that he stops all sicknesses and difficulties. Now, sometimes we as Christians, there's one side that says that. There's another side of Christian that says, uh, we got to suffer more, we got to suffer more, we got to suffer more. I mean, I swear half the sermons are on suffering. Listen, brothers and sisters, he, he doesn't stop at all. He doesn't stop at all. Stop thinking God is mad at you every time you get a cold. Uh, we're chuckling, but it's what I do. I immediately, I can say that about you when you're sick, but as soon as I'm sick, I immediately think, what did I do? What did I do? I say, yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, that's I'm human. That's the problem with us humans. I can't believe that God could love me and still all these other things happen, but here's what we know as a fact. Read it at Romans 11. Now we're in verse 33 through 38. Who by faith, these great women of God and men of God, subdued kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promised blessings, closed the mouth of lions. None of you hit those, right? But yet they said all those things they did. They extinguished the power of raging fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness, they were made strong. Some of you felt that. Became mighty, unbeatable in battle, putting enemy forces to flight. Brothers and sisters, you are in the fight for your life in this world. And the fact that you're here on a Sunday morning, the fact that you want God's word, the fact that you want to walk with Jesus in the midst of this world is is every bit as great as Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego coming out of that fire. You did what Christ is asking you to do now, and so he would describe you with this same kind of impact because of your faith. I never gave in and continued teaching my kids what everybody else in the neighborhood taught them. I never gave in to um, being my, giving my own desires and doing all these other things that I want to do. Instead, I sacrificed those for my children. They'll never thank me. They'll never know I did it. But I did all those things. And when I did all those things, I joined with great women and men of faith throughout our history. And we walked together and obeyed God together. Now, here we go. Verse 36. And others experienced the trial of mocking and scourging. He's giving you extreme examples of what happened to these Christians. Even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn into. They were lured with tempting offers to renounce their faith. They were put to death by the sword. They were wrapped in skins, of, uh, utterly destitute, oppressed, cruelly treated. People of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and living in caves and holes in the ground. Brothers and sisters, these are the godliest who ever lived. And guess what? They got colds. COVID happened to them just like it happened to the unsaved. The rain, when it pours later today or tomorrow, when it pours, it will not have one lane for the Christian and another lane for the lost. It rains on everybody. And Jesus said it in his word. Those of us who have faith in him, we're supposed to, we get this because he said, in this world, you will have trouble. He says, in this world, you will have, that's what he said. I didn't say it. He said it. Now, here's three things I want you to do to change your life of faith. I want you to think like these men and women here. I want you to replace your disappointment with approval from God. I want you to replace your concept of God that he is disappointed with instead the joy and the delight of the Savior. So just three things. And I'm going to finish up here. Three things. One, Christ values his own. 
Christ values his own. Christ values the Christian, the ones who are his. Seven billion people on the planet. Seven billion people on the planet. And out of the seven billion, if we were to look, we would cut off billions are not interested in Christ. Only a few, those that are interested in Christ. Then we look at those that are really in the word. Then we look at those who really know him. Then we look at those who are serving him. And we get all the way down and we're in a very low percentage. And we imagine, here we are in this low percentage, that God is frustrated with us. Now that doesn't make much sense. You're saying six billion other people or more are disinterested in him. They never thank him. They never acknowledge him. They enjoy his love. They enjoy, they enjoy his blessings. But they never once stop during their life and say, Christ is the reason I have this blessing or that blessing. I never, never thank God for a child born. Never thank God. They ignore him totally. But God is mad at us. Brothers and sisters, no, 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 no. He values his own. A matter of fact, to prove it to you, I want to prove to you I'm serious that I, that I care for you. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And anyone who mistreats you, I'm going to judge and deal with. Read Revelation 17, 19, and other passages that explain what happens to those who mistreat the believer. He indwells us. This is his words, not mine. He protects us. He promises, and he seals us forever. Hey, listen, that's just a few things he does for you. What else could he do to convince you that he values his own? Second one, Christ uses words to describe us, proving to us that he accepts us. Christ accepts us. Listen to the words he uses, words you've heard all your life, you've been around church, but I want you to let them impact now that you're older, now that you've got a thing to think about it. He says, you're my son and daughter. I've given this illustration 50 times. I'll give it another 100 times. I think you can understand this. My daughter Christian's sitting here. My daughter Nikki's over there. If they're sitting here right now, the building catches on fire. I want all of you to make it from the fire. I really do. I want all of you to get out. I don't want any of you to get a you know, hair singed. But I can tell you who I'm getting out first. I'm going for my own. I'm getting Nikki and Kristen out. Am I wrong? You don't feel the same way? That's exactly what I would do. And so here's the beauty, brothers and sisters. Christ chose to describe you as a son of his. And that's what he meant. You are a daughter of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. And he describes in Hebrews 11 this faith in him that that's what he meant is what he said. He calls us brothers. He calls us joint heirs. He says joint heirs of an inheritance. Imagine being cut in on the will of a wealthy person, how happy you would be each day as you anticipated this. This is exactly your life. Your priests, he called you, a priesthood of every believer. One of the reasons in the Reformers... Um, uh, the reformers were so worried that in the Catholic Church they had made such a separation between the believer and the, uh, and the priest that they used to have these tall lecterns where they would, the, the pastor would go up and preach from. So some of the reformers got rid of the lectern and then they started this thing, which you've seen many churches do, where the pastor would sit on the front row with the congregation. That way they would know that he was one with them. He would worship with them. And, and all these things to try to explain to them that, that they were, uh, the, the priesthood of the believer is not different from the pastor. Thing. And then some of them even began to preach from the middle of the sanctuary. Now, I'm scared to tell Nate this because I, I, I'm afraid that he'll stay here forever. But the point is, he preached, they preached, the reformers did all that. Why did they do all that? They did all that because they wanted every believer to understand that the priesthood of the believer is for every believer, not just for the preacher or the singer. So they would say, from the middle of the room, I'm going to say on the same level as you, we're going to teach the word. So there's another one. Christ 
uses Christ, accepts us. Oh, to do a word study on acceptance and to study God's word and hear all the wonderful things that he does. Third thing is Christ delights in his children. Christ delights in his children. Here's Psalm 37, 23. Just saw this the first time the other day. I've actually read it about 350 times, but I saw it and the Lord attached it to my heart. The steps of a good man are direct and established by the Lord. And look, and he delights in his way. John Owens in the 1600s. Listen, I'm not preaching to you some message of truth from some new age... uh, preacher trying to get attendance up. I'm telling you what, the, what God's word says. And in the 1600s, John Owens, a serious reformer, Puritan, who wrote books like The Mortification of Sin. I mean, this is a serious guy. He says, Christ greatly delights in his people, and they greatly delight in him. What? He not only isn't disappointed in you, he delights in you. On, my, on Father's Day, my three daughters... Uh, worked it out with all the 50 kids and everything that they could get together with me after bedtime. So we all met together. We went through some old pictures. But it was delightful. It made my day. It's all I needed for Father's Day was to be with my own kids. You see where I'm going, right? You're his. If you know him, if you've repented of your sins, if you've given him your life, if you've focused on him, and I want you to know that he delights in your way. He delights in your way as you're taking kids to the park. He delights in your way as you're doing some uh, bureaucratic function you have to do at work. He delights in your way when you make hard decisions. He delights in the way of his people. He wants to be with us. And that is why, remember this, brothers and sisters. You know, we talk about the presence of God a lot, right? Here's where I want you to get this. He could have chosen anywhere on this planet to live. Anywhere he wanted. And he chose to live inside of you and me. What? He loves you. He wants to be with you. He wants to indwell you. He chose all the great sanctuaries, all the great places. I would have found better places. But Christ wants to be with his people. Now, I want you to end on this thought. Am I telling you just live however? No, of course not. That isn't what the Bible says. And you wouldn't even believe that as a true Christian. So I don't need to go through with you the 75 other things that God does because he's so gracious. He teaches us like guardrails on our life and he teaches all this. But I want you to get this. You can't do that. You can't live for him unless you have the right, or it helps, let's say, to live for him if you can have the right concept of him. My family and I, my staff and I, if they don't believe good of me, we have a really difficult relationship. And in the same way, you and I, in our relationship with the Lord Jesus, if we don't believe the truth that he says, but I believe this, if we don't do that, if we don't have the faith of these wonderful brothers and sisters, then we will miss out on knowing him like we could. Here's the center of the lesson, and we can go with this. This is the idea. Remember what he said about Enoch. He comes to the end of the story, and he says a simple line. He will... He will diligently, he loves Christ, will diligently seek him. Now, whenever I see that verse, I get very encouraged. Here's why. If you say to me, if you're a real Christian, you will stop lust forever. If you're a real Christian, you will break every bad habit. If you say, if you're a real Christian, uh, you'll have no more anger in your home. If you say you're a real Christian and you're going to give away everything you own and 
never own anything again and move to some country where you don't speak the language. You do any of those things, I don't know if I can do those things. But when he says to me, seek me diligently, most of you, that's why you're here. The reason you're disappointed you didn't make Bible study or you're too busy at this phase of your life to be part of a lighthouse is because you want to seek him. That's the whole point. Jesus has given you an unusual desire that most in this world don't have, and that is to seek and seek after God with all your heart. So brothers and sisters, there's my command to you. That's what the men of faith, the men and women of faith did. And this is what we want to do today. Diligently seek him. Love his word. Listen to it in the margins. I saw a thing on exercise where instead of doing 30 minutes at a time, they were suggesting 10-minute bursts three times a day. Brother, maybe that's what you need for your time with the Lord. Maybe between kids and naps and everything or between work and whatever, maybe you need 10 minutes of meditating on God's word, thinking about God's word, praying, talking to him three times a day. I don't know. But you want to seek him diligently with all your heart. Believe what he said about himself. You'll want to seek him even more. Let's pray together. Jesus, so many good things to seek in this life, Lord. We do want to win. We do want to do well at work. We do want to be loved by another person. We do want to enjoy a great meal. We do want to enjoy the blessings you've given us. But, oh, Lord Jesus, we want to seek after and long after you in the middle of all those things. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. Help us to diligently seek you, to, to really want you with our lives, to take the word of God, to meditate, to think, to understand. Let it govern us, Lord. May we submit to you even more knowing how you feel about us than we ever did before. Oh, Lord, help us to be the people here at City Life that diligently seek your face. Take a second with the Lord Jesus. These moments are hard to get in the middle of a busy life. They're hard to get. I want you to just take a minute here. Just, just seek the Lord. Just talk to him. Thank you for all these brothers and sisters. Help us together, Lord, to seek you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.